0: at the intersection of true crime and real estate you'll find crime estate i'm heather and
1: my name is elena as real estate agents and true crime junkies we view crimes through a different lens so walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover
0: how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell Hey, ladies. Happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday. We're uh, we're back to our normal schedule of recording. And, yes. Uh, I like this better than weekend recording. I think so too. I think we're more peppy because it's Friday. Yeah. On the- I mean, not that that means a lot in our jobs. Well, that's true. We both have to go to work after this. But but, well, but we don't have to wake up early to take the kids to school. This is true. Yeah. And that is a game changer. For sure. Yeah. I did for the first time this week. I slept and let my son just get himself up out oh, of the that's house right. and leave by himself. That was amazing. I felt like a horrible
1: mom. But you had oral surgery.
0: I did. So that's yeah. a
1: legitimate reason to sleep in. That's true. That's true. Not yeah. that you need a reason. So if you yeah, want to. So if
0: I sound horrible this week, I have had a little bit of surgery done, but I think I'm, I'm powering through. Yeah. You sound good. Good. Yeah. You sound great. You should sing for us. Um, that would not sound good to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I will spare you. I will spare you. Um, okay. Well, what have you had going
1: on this week? Anything exciting? Nothing exciting. It's been really rainy. I feel like I've been in a funk. Like I just want to like curl up and it's so rainy, but it's hot. It's yeah. rainy and humid. That's the I worst. I keep reminding
0: myself April showers bring May flowers. Well, that's I true. mean, we're not
1: there yet, but it
0: definitely feels oh. like that spring rain.
1: Well, it's also bringing those crane flies. Oh my gosh, it was the worst.
0: Yeah. I'd, okay. So I'm really curious if this is a local thing to Texas or if these are all over the country But they just look like these massive mosquitoes. Well, I just read about it
1: this morning very randomly. They're all over, but usually in like swampy areas. Um, But because we've had like warm weather and then rain and then cool weather and we haven't got like springs on officially started, keeps going back and forth like it usually does in Texas. But I guess it's more intense this year. And that's why there's so many of them. Yeah. I don't know if we've shared with
0: listeners, but we, my husband and I are in the process of remodeling our house. And it doesn't have a roof on it at the moment. Oh, so no. every time it rains, we have to go over and just, you know, look and see what water came in. So I would like for it just to hold off for just a little bit longer yeah. so we can get our roof on mm-hmm. and, you know, not have water damage. Right. Would be lovely. Yeah. That's that's not much to ask. Yeah. Minor details. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I did have something interesting happen this week. What's up? And I hope it's okay to share because I did not ask my husband Uh-oh. about this in advance. But my husband had jury duty this
1: week. Which is so weird because he's a lawyer.
0: He is. And you know what? He has been called to jury duty, I don't know, five, six, seven times. And it's wow. like, he always gets put on the jury every That's single funny. time. Yeah, but anyway, he had jury duty, and um, it made me think about our podcast because the case was a neighbor suing another neighbor for pulling out their water hose and turning the water hose
1: on them. That's crazy, Oh, and, but why do we, we not know the details? I mean, I don't know all the details. Um, I can't imagine being that mad that I would, I don't know, spray someone with a water hose. It's just weird. It's almost laughable right. to think about. It. Yeah. And, yeah,
0: so anyway, I thought that was funny, and, um, you know, I guess- Rule number one of real estate is buy a house where you like your neighbors. Right. <laughs> what is it? What's the saying? Good fences make good neighbors. Oh, that is a saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love my neighbors. Oh I'm my the best gosh, neighbors. You have great neighbors. I love it. Their kids are a little bit on both sides. Their kids are a little bit younger, but the boys don't mind that, and they run around and play, and it's amazing. We we share um, backyards and front yards, and we have the best neighbors. That's a
0: blessing for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, um, I don't know anything about the neighbors
0: of the house and crime we're going to talk about today, but it is a very interesting story. And we're actually going back a little bit. Um, This is about a 40-year-old case, but, you know, we've talked about how so many of the crimes or the victims we've covered have been somehow beauty queens or they've been from really wealthy families. And so we really wanted to shed some light on... You know, a different story that maybe did not get quite as bit, um, maybe did not get as much media coverage. And so we're going to be looking um, at a very different type of crime today. So, Atlanta. In September of 1999, Ronald Cohen sold his 40-year-old home at 67 Forest Drive in the East Birchwood neighborhood of Jericho, New York, to Hamad Tuffagandi for $415,000. Now, Jericho is a wealthy small town of less than 14,000 people on Long Island in Nassau County, and that's about 20 miles, um, 20 to 30 miles east of Midtown Manhattan. And so in the normal course of inspections and negotiations, the buyers requested that the house and crawl space be cleaned and removed of any debris before they moved in. Now, let's talk about a crawl space for a minute. Um, a crawl space is an unoccupied, unfinished, narrow space within a building, typically between the ground and the first floor or the ground floor. And it's named a crawl space because really there's only enough room to crawl through it. There's, there's not standing room. You look like you have like I a just horror remem- story. No, I
1: don't. But I just had a memory that a, two nights ago, I had a dream about a crawl space. I've uh-huh. not heard this story at all. That's a little and freaky. And I remember now, I, I, it was a buyer and we walked into a bedroom and there was a rug and he pulled it back and he said, what's this? And it was all open. You could see the rafters underneath it. And I was like, oh, that's a crawl space. And, you know, I was, we were talking about crawl spaces. That's bizarre. That's the only thing I remember from that dream. That is bizarre. Oh, I got goosebumps. Okay, I'm ready to hear <laughs> the rest. Go on. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs>
0: All right. So, crawl spaces are typically not very deep. um, And it's often built when building, you know, a basement would be impractical. And they use it to elevate the lowest level of the floors in order to, you know, run pipes or, um, you know, run ductwork. You know, a lot of your mechanicals Mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. run through your crawl space. And typically, it has to be properly insulated and ventilated. Otherwise, the moisture will pool and it just, you know, that moisture sort of finds its way into the home. Since we live in Texas where basements are rare, almost all of the homes that were built probably prior to the 90s have some sort of crawl space. And it appears in northern climates that these crawl spaces actually function more like a cellar. So if you want a picture, you know, something that's a little bit taller, maybe, maybe not room enough to stand in, but room enough to sort of duck and walk into. And, you know, they will be insulated so that they can, they can have some sort of storage in them. We would Mm. never store anything Mm -mm. in our crawl
1: spaces here in Texas. Get creepy crawlies and moisture. I mean, we're
0: just hoping we don't find a snake every time we go down there. Melanie, you recently had an interesting crawl space debacle. Yeah, I
2: think I've t- talked about before that I have a very old, at least by Texas standards home, so um, it's over like 115 years old, and it's a pier and beam house, so it's raised and so there's a crawl space um, below hand, and normally it's all blocked off um, because one time cats got down there and had kittens, and yeah, so it's you know normally blocked off, but Last year, we needed to replace our ductwork work um, below the house. That is where our air conditioning and heating come in is bo- is underground because obviously the house was built before there mm-hmm. was central heating. It wasn't built into the house, and it was added later. But the way that they added it was below the – so like on the second floor, it goes through the attic. And then on the first floor, it goes underneath mm-hmm. through the crawl space. But in North Texas, we have these clay uh, dirt that uh, – Rises with the humidity, you know, like things move around a lot, and over time, um, the crawl which was always small, got real small. Mm. Like I think it was supposed to be like eighteen inches, but in some areas it was like six inches. Ooh. And but a person needed to crawl under our house to replace all the ductwork, so the only way they could do it was through um, hand shovels. And so for weeks and weeks oh. and a lot of money. We had very small men crawling underneath our house and digging out the dirt and pulling like handfuls of dirt um, into our driveway to, to be able to just even have enough room that they could replace the ductwork. That's crazy. So it was quite an undertaking. And it was also really weird because you could hear the people underneath The house? And I'm very claustrophobic, so this whole thing horrifies me. Um, But you would hear them talking and their phones, like taking phone calls while they're laying (laughs) underneath the house. Um, I heard that they found some animal remains and things like that, but I really just never wanted to even ever take a look at it. Right. But yeah... Totally different kind of call space than what I think you're gonna be talking about. That's right. So for,
0: <laughs> for this purpose, let's picture, you know, a small walk-in seller is, okay. is sort of what we're talking about Got here. It. And um, you know, rightly so, this new buyer said, I don't want to deal with all of your old junk. Please get it out before I move in. And so the sellers agreed. That's a that's a pretty fair request. Uh-huh. For the entire nine years that the Cohen family lived in this home, a sealed metal drum took up room in this crawl space. But because it was heavy and had chemical markings on the exterior, and probably because it was in the crawl space and, you know, out of sight, out of mind, the Cohen family and the other families who had lived there for years and years never bothered to remove it. But now it had to be dealt with, and Cohen moved it to the street to be picked up along with other bulk trash the sanitation department left a note on the drum stating that it was too heavy for them to haul away. And so get this, Alana. Cohen and his realtor decide to pry open the container, presumably, you know, to remove enough items from it that it's light enough for the trash truck to pick it up on its next visit. And they are surprised and horrified to see a human hand, a lady's shoe, sitting on top of the contents in the barrel.
1: No way would I do that. You wouldn't open it up. Has it kind of cussed? No. Mm-mm. No. It had the markings on it. It had been down there for a long, long time. Mm-mm. I mean, I don't know. I might call my husband to see if he wanted to yeah. <laughs> open it, but no, I, I wouldn't open it.
0: I I love this realtor spirit. She was like, by gosh, we are getting this house sold. <laughs> what do I have to do to get this drum out of here? Yeah. Mm-mm. <clears throat> All right. So Cohen and his realtor call the police seems good. like a likely yeah. next step. Wait, the, would you open it? I mean, the chemical markings That's, might yeah. give me pause. Yeah. But if it were just like a trash can or something, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get it done kind of gal. <laughs> Let's go. I'm going to call my husband and maybe he'll get it done. Yeah. yeah. Your husband's good about that. Mine would tell me to call somebody else. <laughs> um, so the police take this barrel to the morgue where it's examined and found to include the mummified remains of a woman. Upon forensic examination, Nassau County Coroner Gerald Cantonese determined that the body was that of a Latina in her mid to late 20s, between 4 feet 9 and 5 feet tall. The remains were thoroughly mummified with no organs or body fluids left to speak of, but the coroner was able to tell that she was dressed in 1960s-style clothing and jewelry. Found along with the body in the barrel was a purse with makeup, an address book, and a wallet containing the business card of a long-since retired physician in Hoboken, New Jersey. Unfortunately, it did not contain a driver's license or any other identifying information as to the identity of the person in the barrel. Mm. In addition to those personal items, they found approximately 250 pounds of plastic pellets, a plastic flower stem with leaves, and quite a bit of green dye. Helping to narrow down her identity, the coroner discovered unusual dental work, which wasn't typical of work done in the United States, and he suspected that the work was done in South America. But perhaps the most shocking discovery of all was the 17-inch, almost full-term baby boy that the victim was pregnant with at the time of her death. Without being able to identify the woman in the barrel, investigators started tracking down the origins of the barrel itself to see if it would lead to the victim or her perpetrator. The barrel was determined to have been manufactured in 1965 by Reem Container in Linden, New Jersey, and shipped to the General Aniline and Film Company dye plant in the same city. The company used these types of barrels to transport a halogen green dye made for the plastics industry. In 1971, General Aniline and Film Company dye plant was sold to Melrose Plastics, a company that made synthetic floral greenery. And would you believe that one of the owners of Melrose Plastics, a man by the name of Howard B. Elkins, was the original owner of the home at 67 Forest in Jericho, New York. Interesting.
2: Mhm. Suspect number 1.
0: Yeah, I think he goes straight to the top of the <laughs> yeah. list right here.
2: I'm actually kind of impressed that they were able to get all that information about the origins of a 40-year-old barrel and that was where really it smart. Went. like that. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. That's that's actually a pretty good deal. Especially
0: if you think about it, like a lot of those records would have been handwritten. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a database that you could just pull up. Oh, you know, container number XYZ went here. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that was smart. It's impressive. police work. Okay, so let's go back to 67 Forest in the late 60s and early 70s. Howard Elkins and his wife, Ruby, purchased this split-level home in 1957 and went on to raise their three children in the house and lived there until 1972 when Howard sold his company and his home and retired with his wife to Boca Raton, Florida. If you aren't familiar with a split-level home, these became really popular in the 1950s and 1960s. These homes are pretty easy to identify. Typically, the front door opens to a landing that will have half a set of stairs down to the lower level and half a set of stairs up to the living level. And these homes gained popularity because they had both a noisy living area, quote-unquote. So think like a basement or a game room type of space, a quiet living area, and a private sleeping area which is different from other like 1950s ranches, which typically had a formal living room just as you walked into the house and then a family room that just immediately backed up to that. So they were really close together. At this time, this was considered a very modern and family-friendly floor plan. And if you need a visual, the most iconic split-level house of our generation was the Brady Bunch house.
1: Is that our generation?
0: Sure. I mean, I watched it on reruns. When when did the Brady Bunch
2: wasn't in it the like
1: 60s? 60s wait really
0: yeah
1: yes. <laughs> i thought it was one of those shows that was just set in the 60s no it was in the 60s <laughs> and set in the 60s are you all sure yes yeah, produced in the 60s yeah A verified producer melanie <laughs> okay uh, well i grew up watching it on reruns
0: just like it was the thing to watch so but tell me you can picture the house
1: right? oh yeah 100 okay. yeah for sure
2: you know, I kind of miss the fact that we don't have Nick at Night anymore. Another thing that ages. Oh, yeah. No, it'd be depressing now because it would be like Friends or oh. Seinfeld or that that would be the old That's, shows. Yeah, or even maybe something newer than that. Oh gosh. Yeah, so The Breed Bunch aired between September 1969 and March 1974. Okay. Well before. Well before well before (laughs) you were a twinkle in your parents' eye.
0: Speaking of shows, not to get off topic, although this will. um, My son and I always have a show we like to watch together, and we just wrapped up Modern Family, which is amazing if you haven't watched that Mm -hmm. with your kids. But so we started Charmed,
2: which (laughs) I
0: didn't watch, Mm -hmm. the original version. And I didn't really realize that we weren't watching the original version. <laughs> like what? the first two or three episodes, there's a new version of Charmed. Oh, oh it only had like a year or two before okay. it was canceled. Okay. Well, I was watching, we're only like two or three episodes in. I was like, man, they are very ahead of their time and progressive. <laughs> they're talking about, you know, women's rights and all this stuff. And my husband walked in.
2: He's like, Alyssa Milano is not on this.
1: Like, oh, <laughs> he came in for God. Alyssa Milano. Yeah. <laughs>
2: okay. okay so we have to go back to the original. To age me. I watched the version before Alyssa Milano because Alyssa Milano came on when Shannon Doherty left because she uh, uh, um, was, uh, I think she was, the, yeah, the the replacement character. That sounds oh, right. Oh, no, no now that I think about it, um, I think Rose McGowan oh, came yes, in to that's replace right. Shannon yes. Doherty. Um, yeah, I was just reading an article like yesterday about Charmed and how Alyssa and Shannon Doherty are a little bit better on speaking terms oh, now mm-hmm. because they had a whole issue. Yeah, I, I watched it. A lot of it during the time. And then I think maybe with my son, like my first maternity leave, I think I watched a lot of it. There was, you know, some of those shows that were on every single day when you're on maternity leave. And, you know, I've worked my entire life and the only time I've ever had a few months off was maternity leave. And so each of my kids, I think I binged shows. Mm -hmm. I think it might've been charmed.
0: I love that. I binged Felicity during my for, uh maternity leave. And uh I kept thinking, man, if they had just had cell phones, so many of these problems could have been solved. <laughs> awesome. All right. I'm sorry. We digress.
2: Uh Brady Bunch, iconic split level house. That's where we find. Do, do you ever sell any um split levels in Dallas? I haven't I haven't been to any around here,
1: but I seen every are. once in a
2: while. I mean there's, there's a very, lot of
1: flips, but every once in a while.
0: Yeah. It, it's it's not a a floor plan you find really often. Um, John's family in Iowa had like a split level house. Maybe it's more of that Northeast Mm, sort of area, but.
2: We had some in my hometown community, but like my neighborhood had been built in the Mm seventies. So I, I I mean, ours wasn't, but I do recall going into some of, you know, my classmates' houses that were that style. Yeah. I
1: think it's the first thing that's pulled when someone buys a house for as an investment is make it all, you know, the same. But I kind of like that. I like the idea of that. Just something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to
1: like steps, I guess. Well, that's true.
0: All right. So at this point in the investigation, the police are pretty confident that Howard Elkins is somehow involved in this crime. Um, You know, you own the house during the time the crime occurred. He also owned a company who would have had access not only to the type of barrel that the victim was placed in, but also would have had access to the other types of items in the barrel. So, remember, they found those plastic pellets and the plastic flower stem, and his company made those synthetic floral greenery. So, you know, that all goes hand in hand. Now, around the same time, the Nassau County Police Department received an anonymous call. The caller did not know the deceased woman's identity but did share that Howard Elkins had been having an extramarital affair in the 1960s with a Hispanic woman who worked at his factory. Mm. So the police head to Boca Raton to chat with a now 71-year-old Elkins. And when they arrive, Elkins is uncooperative and dishonest. He denies that his company ever used barrels like the one the body was found in. They never used the dye. They never used the pellets. But he did admit that he was having an affair However, he couldn't remember the woman's name or describe her in any way. And now I'm just, I mean, I'm heartbroken that this woman is a victim, but now I'm mad on her behalf. Oh, yeah. So detectives ask him to provide a DNA sample in order to see if he is the father of the unborn baby. And he refuses. Ultimately, Elkins asks the detectives to leave, and they inform him that they're going to obtain a warrant. They're going to match his DNA to the DNA of the fetus inside the unidentified victim. And they are going to arrest him for murder and bring him back to Nassau County. They are confident he is the man. The next day, September 10th, 1999, Howard Elkins is found dead in the back seat of a neighbor's car from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. After the detectives left that day with a promise to return with a warrant for his DNA, he went to Walmart and purchased a 12-gauge Mossberg 500 pump-action shotgun and ammunition. After his death, DNA testing found that there was a 99.93% chance of certainty that Howard Elkins was the father of the unborn baby in the barrel. But ladies, investigators still don't know who the woman in the drum is. So they turned back to the other clues they had on hand. The jewelry she was wearing, the pocketbook, the wallet, and the address book. At first glance, the address book appeared to be destroyed by the dye and the other fluids that were in the barrel. But skilled forensic technicians were able to extract names and numbers from the mess. By some miracle, there was one name and number in the address book that had not changed in 30 years. That of the victim's English teacher, Kathy Andrade. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I I just can't imagine having the same address and phone number for 30 years. That is so impressive. Well, you will one day. I mean, I hope. Yeah. You know, when my husband and I got married, the longest he had ever lived anywhere was in his fraternity house. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, by God, we will fix this and break this streak. And we have several times over. But his his family
2: moved around a lot. Mm. So. It's interesting that um, nowadays you don't see people who have had the same phone number for that long. I mean, um, you guys kind of know what I do in my my business world, but, you know, I work in telecom, and it's very uncommon now to have that same phone number. Now, I mean, eventually with cell phones, people will have it for that long. But because cell phones aren't that old uh, yet, people, you know, don't have a uh, same cell phone number for 30 years just yet. And there are uh, pots, there are plain old telephone lines. More and more people are getting rid of them and and not having um, that same whole home phone number as well. So kind of interesting...
0: I remember when we first moved to Dallas. I thought it was so weird that you had to dial the area code first, you know, and <laughs> yep. do all yeah. what ten digits of a phone number. It's growing up, you just did the last seven. Yeah. You didn't have to dial the area code.
1: Yeah, I don't. It hasn't always been like that in Texas. When I was a kid, it was the same way. I think when I went to maybe college, maybe they added the, yeah, the area code it was, it was
2: sometime in my early twenties. Yeah. that that uh, started having to do the, the area code, right? Yeah.
1: Things our
0: kids will never know about. And dialing like a home phone.
1: Oh, yeah. Have you all seen those videos where they put the phone, like a rotary phone in front of teenagers and they have no idea how to use it or call anybody? They have no idea.
0: No, that's amazing. I like it. We did keep a home phone for a long time until like I was confident that my son could open up my cell phone if there was an emergency. And it came in handy a couple of times. Oh, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you can get home phones nowadays, but generally you get them over um, voice over IP. So it's going over your, use a little telecom lingo, uh, it's going over your broadband connection um, versus the old copper phones that go into your houses. Yeah. Did y'all ever have a party line growing up? I don't know what that is. Uh, My uh, mother-in-law did uh, and because she lived in the country and it was one phone and it was like, Everybody on their street, like something like it would ring and everybody on their street, it would ring and then they would figure out whose who's house it really was. And, huh. you know, she lived next door to all of her relatives. So,
0: yes, yeah, <laughs> one of them. The, the same in my mom's family, like that's what they had. They had the party line and it would ring and anybody could pick up. But let's say you and I are on the phone mm-hmm. and Melanie is part of our party line, she could just pick up and listen to our conversation oh. too.
1: Oh, well, what's the, why? It's like it was like just I'm like sure a group Sure, like, It was cheaper, yeah, like
0: to just install one phone line like out in rural I see. areas. Oh, crazy! Okay, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And again, I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what happens on a Friday. Okay, so Kathy Andrade is the victim's English teacher, and she has God love her not changed her phone number or her address in 30 years, and she's really the key to helping the police determine the identity of the victim, and she provides investigators with the background information information, she provides investigators with the background information they need to understand the motive. When detectives explained why they were calling, Kathy immediately knew that the woman in the drum had to be her friend, Reina Angelica Mariquin, who had disappeared in 1969. Reina immigrated to the United States from El Salvador in 1966 at the age of 25, after her husband had an affair and the other woman became pregnant. Like many immigrants, she was seeking a better life for herself, and she enrolled in school where she met Kathy Andrade, her English teacher. She also secured a job at the factory of Melrose Plastics, owned by Howard Elkins, where she had a job painting artificial flowers. Mariquin resided at a shelter run by nuns when she arrived in the United States and was fascinated by the culture of the U.S. She regularly sent letters to her family in El Salvador and updated them about her life. However, the letters stopped coming in 1969. From what Kathy Andrade shares with investigators, Raina and Harold began an affair, which seemed to be common knowledge in their workplace. But upon learning she was pregnant, Raina is embarrassed to continue living with the nuns, and Harold rents an apartment for her in New Jersey, as well as sets her up with a doctor to oversee her pregnancy, all the while telling her the age-old story that he will leave his wife and kids for her and the new baby. That's heartbreaking. It is. So fast forward until Raina is approximately nine months pregnant with Harold's baby, and Raina starts to realize that he is not actually going to leave his wife for her. She calls Harold's wife, informing her that she's pregnant with Howard's baby. Now, as you might imagine, this call infuriated Howard, and he told Raina that he would kill her and never forgive her for making that call. We know all of this because Raina is so upset afterward that she calls her friend Kathy. Kathy. And Kathy, worried about her after this call, goes by Raina's apartment, where she finds the door unlocked and food on the stove, but no evidence of a disturbance. Despite it being winter, Raina's coat, gloves, and boots are still in the apartment. Concerned, Kathy says she waited at Raina's apartment for about four hours, waiting on her to return. And when she doesn't come home, Kathy goes to the police. But because she isn't a relative, they will not let her file a missing persons report and tell her, don't worry, she probably took off with her boyfriend and will come back in a week. Realistically, the police just weren't interested in spending time and resources on a case of an immigrant factory worker who had gone missing. And, you know, I feel like we see this time and time again in old cases. The The protocols are so different now that that women or, you know, whoever would go to the police and say someone's missing and they just wouldn't investigate mm-hmm. No, whether it hadn't been long enough, or you know they weren't a family member, Um, and I do think that's changed a lot in recent years. I hope so.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about the not being a family member. I've never thought about it. I mean, I always had heard you know on television, wait 48 hours before you report someone missing or something like that. But I didn't know a family status mattered to report it. Yeah, especially if you didn't have family, like right,
0: like your family's not
1: here, right?
0: So concluding their investigation into the woman in the barrel at 67 Forest in Jericho, New York, police believe that Elkins convinced Raina to come to the factory one night after it closed for the day and killed her. Then he placed her in a barrel and took her home, intending to take her out on his boat and dump her in the ocean. Now, given their location in Long Island, a waterway was easily accessible. And in order to make sure that the barrel was weighed down, Elkins filled it with the plastic pebbles used by his company to make artificial greenery. However, he didn't count on the barrel being so heavy that he couldn't get it into his boat. So instead of taking it to the ocean, he rolled it under the walk in crawl space at his house and left it there for 34 years. That's it, just blows me away. It, totally. And also, like, think about what's the word I'm looking for? Just the, the confidence that you would have to have mm-hmm. in the fact that you are not going to get caught to move
1: away and leave that barrel right. there. Right. You're right. That's, That's wild. That's
2: For sure. I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that. So he retired and moved to Boca pretty young because if he was 71, 30 years. Uh, That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, so. let's
0: see. Okay. So this is 1999 when all this okay, is so happening. This 20
2: years later. Yeah.
0: And he sold the house, scrolling back through my notes here. Um when did he sell?
1: 1972. So almost 30 years. Well, they stopped hearing from her in 69. So right.
2: yeah, so yeah, no, I, I'm just saying that he had lived quite a while after you know, yeah. after this. He retired relatively early and moved. But yeah, this occurred he sold the house like what, two, three years after it uh after he did this and left. There. Left her there. Is but also he lived there with
0: her. In his crawl space for mm-hmm. three years with his family. Sick. That's crazy. Okay. What's the creepiest thing you've ever found in a client's house, Alana?
1: Um, well, surprisingly, my clients bought a house that creeped me out from the minute we walked in. It was just had like a weird feeling and I did not like it. And upstairs, they had a, uh, I guess it was a crawl space too, but it was a, a big cutout. It was bigger like than what you would attic. normally see. Maybe. It might, that might have been the, an addition. They uh, outdid the or redid the attic space and there was a huge crawl space. But it wasn't like a normal door. Like the crawl space is here. It's like an itty bitty door in a closet. This was like mm-hmm. in a room, like giant. Um, but also that same house had nails um, coming out of the windowsill. Like so I, and I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, so no one can crawl out. Like they didn't want anyone to crawl out of the window or come. I don't know. It, was, mm-hmm. it creeped me out. I didn't like that house. That's probably the weirdest thing that I could think of right now.
0: You do wonder why they would put nails.
1: On the inside you know? of the house, yeah, in the yeah. windowsill. Very creepy. Yeah. And they bought it. I'm like, why? But they, they was like it a good it. deal? It actually was. Okay, so see, that's why they <laughs> it bought <actually> it. It actually was.
0: <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had anybody find something like really creepy after they moved in, but I've definitely seen creepy things mm-hmm. like showing houses before. Mm-hmm. Probably the most awkward was one time I was showing this retired couple a house and, you know, they, you could tell they were very prim and proper and um, set in their ways. And we walked into a master bedroom that was covered in mirrors.
2: Oh, no. And
0: that was just awkward.
2: Yeah. I mean, it creeped me out, but probably right.
0: for different reasons.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love those. Um, there's some of those Zillow type of uh, websites. That Zillow kind gone of for. Yeah, they talk, they show the pictures of the houses that are on the market that like have crazy dungeons or sex rooms. And it, it always cracks me up. Now, my next-door neighbor, um, when he bought the house and and he was in like kind of like a hall closet, you know, underneath the staircase, we have these, you know, hall closets, and he was with the contractor that he was kind of walking around the house, uh, the, uh, the inspector, and they're kind of in the closet, and it sounds hollow underneath their feet, and so they pull it up thinking it's like an access to the crawl space Mm. and it was a it's a flooded basement Mm. which you know it's really uncommon in our Mm -hmm. area especially on my street Um, and like a really small little basement and so he gets this idea that he's going to do something with it. And, he's, and we're great friends with our neighbors. Um, and, but the only way to, to do it was they had to, like, it was all muddy and they had to dig it out. And, and I, I don't think they actually really use it very much anymore other than storage or a tornado shelter. Like, oh, yeah. um, But the people they bought it from had no idea that wow. it existed.
0: Again, like, I think the creepiest thing to me is that something exists in your home that you're not
1: aware of. I agree. That does sound very creepy.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I've been on home tours in my neighborhood and where they had uncovered a uh, walled up uh, small room and kind of a window. And, and it literally was that they were standing outside the house and they were kind of counting some of the, you know, these like small windows. And they're like like kind of a decorative. It was in the like a driveway. So it was not something they looked at. And they're like, what's that go to? And then they figured out that in one of the renovations of the house, something had been closed up. Interesting. I was showing a house here in
0: um, East Dallas. It's been several years ago. And you walk into like what sort of feels like a converted garage. You know, maybe they took the garage and made it into a living room or something like that. And there's a door that should go to the exterior. And so I opened the door up and it's just brick.
2: (laughs) So they had great
0: intentions, I guess, but never finished opening the door and it felt like, you know, like Harry Potter, like you're just walking into your brick wall. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to Reina. If you remember from earlier in the story, you know, she regularly wrote to her family in El Salvador. And when those letters stopped arriving in 1969, they were really concerned going so far as to put an announcement in the New York papers about a missing young woman from El Salvador. So I think they did everything they knew to do and had mm-hmm. the resources to do, right um, but you know they they really didn't get any leads, and they never heard from Reina again now, in two thousand, shortly after her identity was discovered, a reporter sought out her family in El Salvador and found her ninety five year old mother. Her mother told the reporter that she had had dreams that her daughter was trapped inside a barrel. Wow. Reina's body was returned to and buried in El Salvador, and her mother is quoted as saying, now I know she's with me, she came flying like a dove back to her home. Her mother passed away only one month later and is buried beside Reina. Reina's address book ended up holding the clues needed to solve both her identity and her murder, and inside that book, investigators found one additional piece of paper with a note that read, don't be mad, I told the truth. Howard Elkin's name and number were also listed in her book. So, according to my research, Alana, Hamad Tafagandi and his wife, who purchased the property from Ronald Cohen in 1999 and were the ones who demanded that the barrel be removed, still own this property. This neighborhood is highly desirable, and a split-level home similar to this one at 67 Forest sells between $975,000 and $1.4 million today. Mom. So pull out your pocketbooks. Would you buy it? Would you list it?
1: I don't think I would buy it, but I would list it. Okay. Just just the creep factor. She's creepy. But she wasn't killed there. I know, but but her body was there for so long. And just like evil, that the guy lived there for two or three years later, just like evil in the house. Okay. I think. Yeah, that's how I feel.
2: Yeah, I think I'm, I think I would agree. I mean, I'm obviously not a realtor, but I think I would, you know, just, you know, list it. I would, you know, sell it. And obviously, this these people have lived in it for thirty, you know, years. Um, I don't think I'd buy it. Um, but then I also wonder how much of this would be weighed by would I really like the house? Like, like if I really love the house and really got a good deal, I could probably put away Look my. Past all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look past it. That's the right way of saying it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I would buy it and list it. I mean, there's not a lot I wouldn't list. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, split level is not my personal favorite style of home. But I think just in terms of would I live there as a result of this crime? Yeah, I mean, I think I would, you know, want to sort of make it feel like she's at... I, I feel like because we know she's at peace, right? She mm-hmm. went home. She, you know, she's buried by her mother. Like, I could be yeah. happy with
1: that. yeah. I wonder how the people who lived there in between felt when they found out that barrel had a body in it the whole time. Can you imagine? No. Would you trust
0: anything in your life ever again?
1: I don't know. I mean, that that was wild. Yeah.
0: It has been interesting, like the things we've uncovered remodeling our house. You know, they tore down some of the fireplace and there were all these really cool old beer cans from like the 60s oh, and 70s. Fine. So of course I've saved them. You know, I'm going to do something cool with them mm-hmm. once I get all the mud and everything off, but that's fun. Yeah. It's a it's like our own archaeological dig.
1: Yeah. I like it. Every time Aaron opens a wall, we all sign a beam.
2: Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, so that's
1: kind of fun. Why are you looking at me like that?
2: Oh, I was just thinking that was oh. sweet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We all came up with our favorite quote to put on the on the beams before they drywalled it back up. And it was fun to see like what my husband picked and what my son picked. Oh, it's nice. You know, yeah. We all have to do a little thing to make yeah. home our own, right? Right. For sure. All right. Well, um, that's it for today's story. I'm I'm glad we like found somebody whose story had not been told. <laughs> Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's feature, Crime Estate, you could find additional photos and details for today's episode online at crimestatepodcast.com. or on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate
1: Podcast. Have a Crime Estate we should cover? Shoot us an email at CrimeStatePodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next week.